welcome to Turn One, a Formula One podcast. and Jeremiah. I guess I didn't understand how hard it was to keep a car on track in Monaco, especially when it's raining, but we had a lot of people hitting walls and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. I I do have to say, I do think you know how hard it is to drive on Monaco because it is difficult in the video game. I can't imagine how hard it is in real life. (laughs) I don't think we've ever run an air Monaco race where one of us got to the end unfortunately <sighs> definitely not in the rain no <laughs> uh, um so the race this weekend kind of lackluster for the actual race for the meaty parts but you know as monaco is known for it's basically the qualifying right that part that everybody wants to talk about and this qualifying definitely had plenty of action everything from sergio perez going out in the very first section session of qualifying q1 after slapping a wall um everybody i heard the announcer say this everybody is gonna have a wide-eye view of the undercarriage of that red bull going forward so i haven't seen any findings from it yet like no one's come out with oh they're breaking this rule or breaking that rule but after seeing both the red bull and later on the mercedes flying high over the streets of monaco you know people are going to do some digging and they're going to start measuring it and like trying to figure out where they're breaking rules and i you know that neither team was happy to see their cars lifted up like that no you're just basically telling everybody hey take a look (laughs) um i did i did want to note that sergio perez's face after he made a collision with that wall and he was just sitting in his cockpit of the car i was like oh my gosh i felt so bad for the guy his He was just hanging his head. He wasn't getting out of the car. He was just sat there for a second, just thinking about the fact that now Max is going to run away with this in the championship standings. No matter how good of a driver you are, you're not going to go from 20th to the points in Monaco unless a lot goes right for you. And a lot would mean you work your way up the field. You do your pit stop strategy perfectly. You get a couple of red flags or safety cars. Like so much has to go right. And he knew he was out of, like you said, qualifying is it in Monaco. That's everything. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know the name of the turn, but do you know whenever you're coming out of the tunnel and the first thing that you do is you have that wicked hard on the brakes and then the wicked left, right. And then you start heading towards that other straight where it's like this gradual left-handed going into another chicane. Yeah. That, so coming out of the tunnel is the, uh, the Novell chicane that's turns 10 and 11. Okay, so when you're out of the tunnel and you're going into the actual left, the quick left and right, is that mm-hmm. 10 and 11? Yep, that's the okay, Novell so chicane. Then, so then this would be more, I want to say 13, 14. Mm-hmm. But that's the they pool. have this shot. Yeah, they have this shot that they always show. And every single time that they show it, it's these drivers getting 
insanely close to that wall to the point to where they're basically kissing it. I mean, because you have the actual barrier itself and then it has some kind of sponsorship draped over the front of it. They're kissing that sponsorship draped over every single time. Every didn't, uh, like when they show both this, Ferraris hit it. They they people do hit it. That was kind of I was gonna get into that. So Lewis Hamilton, he gets really close to it, and they have this awesome action-packed shot of him just grazing it, and you could tell he was giving it everything he could because he had to. He was about to be knocked out at Q1. So then they show Carlos Sainz actually kissing it pretty good, and that that's what you were talking about. That was all Q1, the whole Sergio thing, Lewis Hamilton, Carlos, all that's Q1. Q2, again, Lewis Hamilton make it out of Q2. He gets to the very back and at the last second puts in a thunderous lap to take him into the top 10 or whatever it was at the time. Norris slaps a wall and at the end of qualifying and the team is working dramatically to try and get this thing fixed because the suspension on the front left is completely jacked up. And so for that entire period of time between Q2 and Q3, the McLaren team is just going at it with sockets, wrenches, just trying to take this entire section apart to put it back together in time. You know, how you talked about being a, you talked about being a mechanic right on the pit wall for one of the teams. That would be the most stressful part of your job is you're in qualifying race days tomorrow and somebody blows their car up and now you got you know you've got to spend the next 24 hours rebuilding an F1 car. <laughs> yeah, except they had 10 minutes. So there's that. Uh I did have a note. Yuki looked incredibly fast as qualifying. I don't know what that was about, but it seemed like he kept it seemed like he kept getting into the top 10 and then you know he'd mosey his way down as people beat him and then boom back into the top 10 and mosey his way down. I was impressed from that AlphaTauri. Yuki's had a really good season in terms of qualifying. He isn't quite finishing the job, and maybe that's attributed partly to the AlphaTauri car not being great. Um, But something that we've seen from both him and Alex Albon is that they are taking these slower back-of-the-pack cars to really good places in qualifying. They just can't sustain it during the race, right? Um, I, it would have been interesting to see them run Imola because I think Yuki could have worked wonders out there, but now we don't get to see that. Which reminds me, since we didn't get to see Imola, this was the first time we got to see McLaren's new side pods. They completely ditched the zero pods that kind of went straight down and dumped onto the side and went for more of the Red Bull approach. Mercedes. Uh, I, right. I, I kind of like it. They, they couldn't make full changes to it just because I, I saw notes of like, they weren't able to change their chassis because if they changed their chassis, then they would have been at risk of going over the cost cap. So it was really just the side pods and the front suspension and, you know, little tidbits here and there that might've kept them in the green as far as financially. You know, I've always wondered, we've never really seen a team do a complete overhaul like that. Like Mercedes did with their side pods designs. Who, who designs that? Because like in F1, right, you can't really collaborate or steal designs or get exact dimensions from another team. Did they just come up with that on their own or are they paying for something under the table? (laughs) See, I've thought about this. I genuinely think as much as I do want to believe the fun side of that, where they're probably talking to somebody they shouldn't be or paying some money to someone they shouldn't be. I think it more along the line. I think it's, it goes more along the lines of just, they take a look at it and then, you know, the, the measurements aren't perfect, which is why, even though a lot of people are stealing Red Bull's designs, they're not exact fits, right? They're all kind of, altered in very slight ways. And I think that's because they don't have those exact measurements that you're talking about. There's the two main designs They're They're both huge side pods, but there's the Red Bull design and the Ferrari design. Red Bulls is more flat 
it's like an oval shaped side pod, but it's more flat. Ferraris is more sweeping in. We've talked about that several times on the podcast. Um, and so I guess Mercedes is kind of trying to find a balance between the two. Um, we'll get into the race, but for rolling out a brand new car. Eh, okay. I think we'll have more information on it for the Spaniard or for when they go to Spain and they get to go to the Barcelona track. I think we'll actually get to see what that pace looks like now for that mm-hmm. Mercedes car. As far as Q3 to wrap that up and wrap up qualifying, McLaren was able to get that car fixed. They were able to get Lando back out there and he was able to complete some laps. Now, I didn't do him too much justice at the end of the day, but the fact that they were able to get that car up and running and going for Q3 after a wreck in Q2 baffles me. I couldn't do Uh, that. That team is more familiar with their car than any other team based on the number of pit stops they've had to do to fix mechanical issues at McLaren this year. So. They, I mean, they knew how to wrong. fix it. They, they knew what was going on. <laughs> you're not wrong, I guess. They've had sure, more let's time get... working on the car. Qualifying, qualifying was the diciest part of the whole show for this weekend. So Max starts off his final lap with Fernando Alonso having pole position and Max being down two tenths in the last sector. When he started the final sector, he was two tenths down from Fernando. This man comes home to take it by eight hundredths of a second takes pole away from Fernando Alonso. And meanwhile, this whole time, Fernando is saying stuff like, I'm driving like an animal. (laughs) And he has this other quote where he's like, listen, guys, I like this. He said, don't be disappointed. This is magic. And I, you know, he, you gotta be talking about the fact that their car was not finishing above what the top 10, the the top 15 last year. And now he's sitting here in the front row, right behind Max Verstappen. I mean, obviously they wanted more, but I think that, Pretty good results coming from Aston Martin. If eight hundredths of a second isn't an indicator to somebody how how close that is, um, there's a site that gives uh, percentages off the total race time. Fernando Alonso was 0.1% off of Max Verstappen. You go down to the bottom of the list where you have like Joe Guan Yu and Sergio Perez, over 3% difference. 0.1%. Percent. So that means for a minute and a half of however long this lap is, you're off by 0.1%. That's like five feet of track <laughs> that you missed it by. Oh, All right, let's get into the race. Sure. So some uh, some pre-race observations and some setups. Uh, one, it's about a two-mile track. We're going to run 78 laps, which always sounds like a really long race for Monaco because it feels so slow, but it does run the average time of the other races. Uh, 19 turns, but as we were talking about before we 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 logged on to do this, some of the, what they consider a turn and not a turn in Monaco is really vague. Uh, I would say Monaco could either have 30 turns or like six turns, but somehow they decided on 19. Here's what gets me. Here's why we need to kind of rethink Monaco. Yes, the spectacle is awesome. I've talked many times about how the atmosphere is great. Never take Monaco off the calendar, but I think we need to change the event. Top speed, max of 180 miles an hour. In a Formula One race, you should be able to get the car over 200 miles an hour. Considering most tracks allow you to run 205 or so at some points, 210 at some points, and we're talking about a 30 mile per hour decrease in Monaco. I mean, I think there's a problem with that. Interesting. Yeah, there's a problem with that. Uh, Only one DRS zone, which 
isn't an overtaking DRS zone because um, it's the 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 home straightaway. Um, so there really is no overtaking sections on the track. People will find places to squeeze in overtakes, but there's not a designated overtaking zone. Maybe turn five Mirabeau is the best overtaking turn right before the, the hairpin. But here's some of the thoughts that I wrote down before the race. One, it will be incredibly difficult for Sergio to score from 20th. He needs a lot to go right. Uh, none of that went right. He would have needed multiple safety cars, multiple red flags, multiple successful pit stops over his opponents. He got the successful pit stop early and jumped three spots. He pretty much needed that to happen three more times to have a shot at the points. Yeah. Uh, so that was tough. Lance Stroll continues to hinder Aston Martin. We were really big on him at the start of the season because it looked like Lance Stroll in that car. He was getting top six finishes, right? He was qualifying high. As the season's gone on, his qualifying and race results have plummeted. I mean, he's fallen off the map. I want to attribute that mainly to the fact that it was Monaco. I feel like if we had gotten to see Emla, we would have seen better results from Lance Stroll. But to your effect, it does seem that, yeah, it seems like in these later, not later races, because we're acting like we're 18 races into the season. No, we're not. <laughs> we're like five. <laughs> and so for us to be saying that he's kind of dipping off, like I said, I attribute it to just the track. I think that he'll be just fine when we get to Spain next next week. Well, and so he he qualified 14th and he had floor damage. Okay, so fair enough. You got damage, you get qualified high, but a top tier team or a second place constructor should be able to work their way up the pack. And I feel like he never works his way up the pack, right? It's like where he starts, he either stays or he falls or he doesn't finish the race, which he didn't in this case. Um, you mentioned it earlier. Yuki's kind of having a year in terms of qualifying. Yuki hasn't figured out the points thing yet, but uh, I would be interested to see him in a high performing car. Uh, McLaren decent at 10 and 11. That is still not what you would expect out of McLaren. You'd expect Woo! at least one of okay, you would expect at least one of them to be top six, top seven. They haven't figured that out yet. Um, and then, kind of, and then finally, uh, welcome Alpine to the top five. Welcome making a show. And then I put the big note and underlines, will the new Mercedes side pod work? And without spoiling the race, there's not much to spoil. Decent results. I think their strategy more than anything for Mercedes played a really good part. Um, I don't think the pace was incredibly different for the Mercedes. They could they could have pulled off a four or five in any other race in the year. Uh, but I think as they get more time behind the wheel, like this was the first week they're driving that car, they'll start to figure out how it works a little bit better around the track. Monaco, you can't go full speed. I'd be interested to see how fast that thing is straight line. That's, I think, where you're going to see the huge benefits of that side pod design. I feel like in previous years, they kind of made a bigger effort to kind of show the amount of celebrity, I guess, appearance there and the amount of spectacle. I didn't really see a whole lot of that this year. I mean, we saw instances of some celebrities, like I saw Tom Holland at some point and some other ones but the whole spectacle of monaco the rich the money the celebrity the fame the fortune i feel like it was a little dialed back this year they didn't make it such a prevalent thing that they normally do i agree i did really enjoy the helicopter shots we haven't really had that yes before. Um, because just flying over that city and seeing the marina and seeing the amount of money that is sitting around that track, like each one of those boats is over a million dollars that's sitting in there and there's hundreds of boats. Um, I mean, that was, that was cool to see, but you're right. The celebrity action wasn't there. And I wonder if that was a decision they made or if it was a time constraint thing or normally they would show that towards the end of the race, right? Like once a race is like spread out and you know how it's going to go, but the end of this race was a little bit different, right? That's where we had the action. 
So maybe instead of going to celebrity shots or Daniel Ricardo in the Red Bull garage, sure. they they kept it on the race. <laughs> Daniel Ricardo's just was... sitting there. Whoop. What race was it where they showed him like three times? I'm pretty sure it was this last race, wasn't it? Or maybe two races ago. (laughs) They just kept going back to Daniel in the garage and he's minding his own business. And then he'll look at the camera and give everybody a wave. (laughs) Okay. So just to note before Jeremiah takes us through the the beautiful turn one, which for this race is debatable. Uh, Many drivers started on the hard tires. Those were going to be projected to be the uh, the dominant runner of the race. They were going to go pretty far, like 40, 50 laps. Um, Verstappen was on mediums with about a quarter of the rest of the pack. Zhou Guan Yu was the only person starting on softs. I think if you're one of those teams that just kind of meddles in the mid to backfield, you're just trying stuff at that point. Maybe he had a really good practice on the softs and thought he could pull something out. Maybe he thought, if I'm going to pass anybody, I need to do it on the softs, need to do it now. It didn't work, but occasionally we do see these little kind of uh, energetic bursts from backmarker teams pulling off a strategy. But either way, we'll get into uh, the start of the race. Well, like you said, um, not much of a start of a race, but that's okay. We'll still talk about it. We'll we'll kind of get into it. So turn one was very exciting. You had, (laughs) sorry, you had Carlos Sainz looking at possibly maybe going up the side and making an overtake start off, but he backs out. You had Lewis Hamilton doing the same thing where he saw maybe possibly going for an overtake to start turn one, but then he backed off and then everybody fell into their qualifying position. And that was turn one. You had a lot of looking, you had a lot of thinking, you had a lot of possibly's, (laughs) maybes, coulds, maybes. And then everybody just rounds the turn like normal. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, much better to start Monaco dry than wet because you do have a clean start to the race and it wasn't chaotic. Like, this race doesn't get chaotic until lap 50, which is rare for an F1 race, right? Like I was saying a minute ago, most of the races are determined by the last third or quarter of a, of a race. Not the case with Monaco. It could be It could be 60 laps of pure clean racing with all 20 drivers holding spots. And then the last 18 laps are pure chaos and you don't know who's going to win or who's going to lose. The thing about Monaco that that's crazy is you are at any given point, you are a matter of seconds away from the person in front of you wrecking out and you gaining a position or something bad happening and or tire changes or at any given moment, there is something that could happen to you in Monaco that will take you out of the race. It's kind of baffling. I mean, we see even the best of the best, like Max Verstappen. He tapped how many walls this weekend overall? I mean, several, several walls. And I, I don't think, I mean, you'd be pressed to find a driver that didn't tap a wall or have to cut a chicane or come into a turn too hot or anything throughout this entire race or this, honestly, this weekend in general. I mean, it's just every single driver. It's surviving the chaos. So like Jeremiah mentioned, they go through turn one. Um, Turn two isn't really a turn. It's as they're kind of ripping up that city street, working their way towards the casino. Um, No action there. That's not an overtaking spot at all, especially when you've got 20 cars all running wheel to wheel. Um, As you approach the uh, the Mirabeau turn, which is turn five, it's right before the hairpin, which everybody's familiar with. Hulkenberg and his Haas locks up, goes straight into Stroll. Um, Stroll gets a puncture out of that that I think we hear about about two laps later. 
Um, and then it causes this kind of weird pile up on the hairpin apex because now all these cars are going much slower and on a different line than they're used to. And there isn't really room in that hairpin to maneuver. So now you have like the last five drivers in the pack, like 10 seconds behind everybody else at the start. Of the race. They're, all just, they're all just bumping into each other. <laughs> yeah, it's bumper cars, essentially. <laughs> at the end of the uh, the first lap, uh, or maybe it was at the end of the second lap, correct me if I'm wrong, Sergio Perez, uh, it was at the end of the first lap because he was involved in that chaos. He pits for the hards, which he was going to take to the uh, the end of the race. Right. Bold move by Red Bull saying, we're going 77 laps on these hards. But again, you're starting in 20th in Monaco. You have to do something. I gave I gave this some thought, and I genuinely think it was genius. And the reason why is because when you have a car, that you know for a fact is faster than every single car on the grid, except for the other car that's made completely identical. Why not? I mean, why not go get your tire change out early on? You're going to get like a 25 second gap between you and the car in front of you. And you spend that entire time just building and building and building and building. Because if you get right back on the back of all these cars, then they all pit and you gain like seven spots. And who knows, maybe he would have been able to wiggle out three more to get into 10th and get a point. And that would have been a points finish. So I genuinely think as far as strategies goes, that's their only option that they had. And he did win the pit stop battle and went from 20th to 18th in one lap, which is huge for Monaco. Okay, let's fly through some of this lap by lap and get to kind of the end of the race. Um, I'm only going to call out what I have noted. If you have something that I miss, call it out. Uh, we're going to jump to, uh, lap 10 where it's a two car race at this point. Verstappen and Alonso are ahead 12 seconds of third place. Ocon, absolutely insane. Lap 11. This is where we get a little dicey with the uh, Ferrari team. Uh, they're flying through the tunnel. Esteban Ocon in third, Carlos Sainz in fourth and Carlos Sainz whips to the left. And he's like, Oh, I'm going for the inside pass on Ocon as we come up to the Novell chicane. And then at the last second, actually past the last second, he whips to the right of Ocon, either trying to pass on the outside or get the racing line back and puts his front left wing straight under the back right tire of Esteban Ocon and rips the in plate off the car. I feel like this season or not even this season, this race in particular, we got to see a lot of views of that front wing getting smushed by a bunch of cars in front of it felt like i don't know if they just were trying a different camera angle before but we have never had a camera angle i i swear they switched to that front wing camera angle and what you got to see this wing get smushed like five different times throughout this race it was perfect and it it shows too how like low down to the ground these cars are the fact that the front wing just perfectly fits under a tire which is already on the ground Um, oh no so there was uh the next couple of laps were all surrounding the integrity of carlos Sainz's wing because that end cap actually held on for a little bit it eventually flew off and was just debris on the track but they were talking about how red bull got a black flag early in the year for having damage on a wing and is ferrari going to have enough structural integrity to not get a black flag they didn't because that wing held up the end cap flew off but they did give a black and white flag to signs, which I don't think I've ever seen in action or haven't made a note of. That's like a sportsmanship or a racing standards flag, which basically means, you know, you shouldn't have tried to make that move on Ocon. Don't do that again. Yeah, I feel like they were very very courteous with the black and white or not courteous. They were very uh, giving with the black and white flags this race. It felt like they were just tossing them out like candy on Halloween. You get one, Uh, you get one. (laughs) Lap. 
uh, lap 17. That's where the the black black and white flag is shown, and that's when it was notated on the broadcast. Logan Sargent just has a really bad lap 17. Uh, he first gets passed by K Mag at Mirabeau right before the hairpin. It was a really nice overtake by K Mag. Like that was he, yeah, he dove it. in inside right corner and just. I mean, that's a tough place to overtake. Not a lot of room. And you're like, oh, man, K-Mac's just going to have a day. But then Sargent's immediately also passed by Stroll and Perez. And you're like, oh, that's just Sargent not driving very well. <laughs> well, Perez kind of snuck his way in behind Stroll because once Stroll went for the outside or the, I think, no, I believe it was the inside, uh, Sargent had to kind of move wide so that they didn't collide. And Perez was like, I'm just going to sneak my way through in here as well. Uh, Lap 24. There's a battle for third place. Do you remember who the battle was between? On lap 24 for third place, as Hamilton and Carlos and Ocon, wasn't it? And also Leclerc and Gasly and Russell. They were all within two seconds of the car ahead. That's right. <laughs> so it was like a, right. a sixth place battle for third. <laughs> Here's my philosophy on this. The fact that We've seen every single race for this entire season. We've seen Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez, basically the Red Bull pull away from whatever spot behind it. This was the first time that we saw Max take off and take Fernando Alonso with him and both him and Fernando open up this massive gap between the rest of them. I'm going to attribute that to the Alpine not being as fast as the Mercedes or Ferrari, and they were drastically slowing them down. There was part of that. But you can't pass, so... There was part of that logic where are people slowing down other parts of the track to benefit teammates that had fallen behind? Like that certainly plays a big part of it. This is key for later in the race, lap 27. Ferrari comes on the radio and says possible rain in 45 minutes. And then McLaren comes on and says possible rain around lap 40. Those are very different numbers because 45 minutes would have meant the end of the race. Lap 40 would have meant 38 more laps. So teams have different weather forecasts happening. Um, and and ultimately, it was somewhere in the middle of those two, but we'll, we'll get to that. The reason that that's important is if your strategy, let's say you started on the mediums, right? You don't want to pit for the hards. And then like two laps later, it starts raining you have to pit for enters, right? Let's say that you're on the hards. You don't want to switch to the mediums too early, then have to go to the entry. It's the same argument for both teams. Like they're both trying to wait out the rain, which is easier if you're on hards than you're on mediums. Uh, it's a quick side note. Verstappen ran beautifully on those mediums for so long. He had to. Fernando so would not give in. No. Uh, now he did start gaining on him at the end before Verstappen finally um, switched it up, but Credit to Verstappen. He knows how to drive that car. Okay, 35. Uh, this is the uh, the Novell chicane after the tunnel, the same in place where we saw Carlos try to take Esteban Ocon. You have like an identical situation uh, with uh, Sergio Perez and K-Mag. <laughs> uh, K-Mag was driving really sketchy, and Perez loses his front wing due to that. Perez says that K-Mag brake-checked him. I don't think he brake-checked him, but I did think he was moving erratically left to right on the track. I think that he was just going really slow because I kind of was was watching Perez's momentum, and I was like, man, if K-Mag wasn't there, Perez would have kind of just slingshotted his way through that corner. But instead, because K-Mag was there drastically slower, it was almost like Perez had to slam on his brakes, and you can't really do that in an F1 car because there's no hope. 
Lap 36, Carlos Sainz absolutely hates the Ferrari pit wall and the Ferrari strategists. Um, they do three possible dummy calls to box, which they pull the trigger on none of them. He is questioning them. He is yelling at them. He is calling them out. He, I honestly think whenever his contract up, is up, when I, do, I don't know when that is, I think he might just leave and find another team to drive for. Yeah, it's gotten to the point now to where I don't even think it's a matter of will Carlos or will Ferrari um, hold on to Carlos. I think it's, or will Carlos hold on to Ferrari? It's more like, will Ferrari hold on to Carlos? Cause he is gone. He's, he's had it. He's had enough. He could take a seat at uh, I mean, any team, you name it. A team will make a spot Red for Bull. him to drive from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they're not going to replace Sergio with him, but that would be the next move up and it would be a good move. They should. Just, it's possible. I mean, they could buy out Sergio and do that, but I, I don't see Carlos with Ferrari for much longer. Okay. Lap 52. Let's get into the meat of this. Uh, it is definitely raining on lap 52. The previous two yeah. laps, it was like there's some trickles here or there. There's some rain. Lap 52, they do the 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 ground view shot of the hairpin turn, and you can see the rain just pouring down at that point. So you're like, okay, we're about to have some fun here. I did find it interesting that Verstappen's like an elite level quarterback on an NFL, NFL team that is like given the freedom to call his own plays. They come on the radio to Verstappen and they're like, hey, box whenever you want. You make the call. You don't see that with a ton of drivers. Like I think, I think only him and Lewis would be given that freedom. No, that was pretty cool to see because they're basically like, "Hey, the whole point here is that you stay on the track. If you feel like you can't do that, go ahead and box." All right, cool. Uh, lap fifty three. I made the note. It's a race now <laughs> because we've got the rain pouring down and all that. You had about twelve cars. I said half the field, but I think it was twelve cars, wheel to wheel, bumper to bumper, uh, going through the streets. You had lapped cars mixed in with not lapped cars, like. It was chaotic, and it could have gone off the rails at any point in time. Um, Lance Stroll and Valtteri Botas are the first to go to enters. Um, I think that was a good decision in hindsight. Some of the teams were questioning if the rain was going to hold on. The rain definitely held on. Lap 54 is where you see the hairpin turn become extremely dangerous with every driver essentially just drifting through that turn. <laughs> I watched a lot of the, this track kind of as the rain was coming down, kind of evolve into what became a giant long slip and slide. But definitely that hairpin started to get real dicey for those drivers that hadn't had a chance to switch off of the slicks yet. So you see them going like five miles per hour around this corner. And even then like the back end will slip just a little bit and you'll see them. Whoa, oh, jeez. The, uh, the kind of straightaways between turns one and three and turns four and five they had those cameras shut up looking long ways down the track. And every single time they'd switch to that camera, it'd be another driver driving straight ahead, not turning anything in the back end would just fishtail a little bit. And you're like, this wobble. <laughs> like if you're driving your car down the road, like you've got a Honda Civic or something, your car does that. You are panicking. Now imagine doing that, going 160 miles an hour in an open wheel car <laughs> where there's where the, barriers the walls on the are... <laughs> Also, there's a car that's like half a second in front of you, probably closer. And they're just wobbling like that. That was insane. Oh. Okay. Uh, lap 54 is also when Alonzo pits for medium. I disagree with the, the commentators on this. They, in hindsight, about 10 laps later, said that Alonzo, for the situation, made the right call going to mediums on lap 54. But then in lap 55, he goes back in and goes for the enters. No, he didn't make the right call going for mediums. You either stay on the tire compound you're on, which is the hards for an extra lap and wait it out, or you go to the enters. You don't say, oh, on this lap, it's like 
a medium style lap. And then the next lap, it's going to be an inter style lap. No, you don't, you don't make plans for two pit stops and two laps. So they talked about this in the post-race interview. They asked Fernando Alonso specifically what his, what, what happened there. Basically what happened was, is when they made the call for him to come in and switch to slicks, they asked him if they wanted to go to intermediate straight switch to uh, stay on slicks. And the majority of the, like 90 to 95% of the track was still dry. And so in Fernando's eyes, he's like, there's no reason to go to enters just yet. Let's switch to the mediums, pull out maybe two laps, and then we'll switch to the enters. And what happened ultimately was the rain moved in faster than expected. And within that lap that Fernando went out on the mediums, the rain picked up and was covering the majority of the track. And that's why I'm saying they should have waited another lap or two. Why make that pit stop if you know a situation is developing Wait. Um, lap 55, Max Verstappen taps a barrier, no damage. Luckily, that would have been an interesting end to his day. Uh, Lance Stroll loses his wing hitting the barrier. We later find that he retires pretty much based off that. He just had too much damage throughout the day because uh, he also took damage in the first turn from Hulkenberg locking up. Um, that's also when Fernando pits again for enters. Ferrari double stacks a pit stop, a decent double stack from Ferrari but it is not uh, enough to overcome the charging Mercedes who did the undercut a little bit earlier on. Um, that didn't really matter with the rain, but Mercedes just did it um, better all the way around. The only driver on lap 56 uh, on slicks was K mag who was going like five miles an hour. I don't know if Haas purposely picks horrible strategies but when you're seeing all 20, all 19 cars all on enters and you're the one car on hards, how do you not like make the And call? you start, you start another lap on those same tires. So lap 57, all of my notes are, are around K-Mag. K-Mag sliding all over Mirabeau and the hairpin. They come on the radio, K-Mag to box for full wet. So at the end of lap 57, he's going to box. Uh, right before he can box, he just smashes into a wall. <laughs> And loses the front wing, but it was the turn right before the pit. So as he backs up and pulls in the pit, the team is realizing for the first time that he needs a new wing. <laughs> yeah, you see, so you see the guys at the front of the car like turn around in a panic and start sprinting for the wing, grab it and sprint over to try and get it on there in time. Because the the last time they saw they saw him was probably like three or four turns ago where he was fine. <laughs> Just and then fine. they go out, they go outside. And now his car's all busted up and damaged. Like, hey man. How'd you do this in eight seconds? Oh, no. Okay, uh, lap 59, uh, Logan Sargent, I'll say crashes at the hairpin, more slowly slides in front-facing to the barriers, and he's able to back out and get going again. This was also funny. We talked about earlier how Signs is, is really not happy with Ferrari. He asked for a forecast, and they come on and they say, five more minutes of rain, and he's basically like, no, there's not. There's way more rain than that. <laughs> He's like, are you sure? I don't believe you. Five minutes? Only five minutes? That, that's kind of my, my point exactly, is that Carlos has pretty much had it. <laughs> because on the other side of the track, Red Bull, what they're doing is they say, okay, Perez, you're in like 16th, 17th place. We're going to put you on wets and see if that's the move for Max going forward. Lap 62, I know every car is sliding everywhere. That was when they were showing the cameras down the couple of straightaways in Monaco and every car was just sliding all over the track. Uh, lap 63, that's where you see Lance Stroll walking around the outside of the track. He's officially out. Um, this is also where funny, again, we've called out every race. George Russell has really funny team radio 
and uh, George mm-hmm. Russell, who has like a seven second lead on Charles Leclerc, who also George Russell has a five second penalty. We didn't call that out yet. George Russell got a five second penalty for coming onto the track unsafely. He says, Hey team, can I pass Lewis? And then Lewis just kind of keep a five second, like a four and a half second buffer. That way he still beats me, but I still beat Charles. And they're like, you're beating Charles by seven seconds. Why don't you just do that? Which also to make it even worse by the end of the race had like this giant gap to Charles. (laughs) So he never needed that. I just, I think he tries stuff in every race. He comes on the radio every single race with some like out there idea on how to get better points. And I do love that. That is funny to hear. (laughs) Um, I now skip from lap 63 to 78 because it was essentially just all the drivers driving in formation for what we exactly said, sliding around a couple of little dings of the barrier here and there, but there was no action the last like 12 laps. Lap 78, Max Verstappen wins by 27.9 seconds or some something was the final. That's what I noted in real time, but let me go actually go check what the final was. Yeah, it was 20, 27.9 seconds. So your race finishes, it goes Verstappen, Alonso, Esteban Ocon getting third. Uh, the two Mercedes four or five Leclerc, Gasly, Signs, Norris, and Piastri. So McLaren has a double points finish for a total of three points. <laughs> and that's the 2023 Monaco Grand Prix. I mean, that's that's literally all there is to it. There's nothing else that happened. It, it, like you like you said, once the rain started. Besides watching drivers slip and slide all over the place is pretty much nothing else to it. Which was entertaining. I'll say it like it. Monaco did not disappoint this year. It was an entertaining race. Again, normally most races by lap 40, 50, it's kind of decided and over. That's just when this one got started because that could be any point in Monaco. The race gets started, right? Like it's, it's essentially just driving and trying to stay in your spot until chaos happens somewhere on the track. And then it's trying to dominate the chaos and make moves. No one really made moves in the chaos, but people certainly lost out like K mag DNF stroll DNF um, Sergeant lost out huge moving down several spots. Um, Sonoda ends up finishing 15th after qualifying. Was it ninth? Was he qualifying in like people lost yeah. out of this? Yeah, that one was rough, though. Snowda was slipping all over the place, and that kind of caused him to get passed by a bunch of people there as he went off the track at one point. So that's kind of unfortunate because before that, the commentators were talking about how Snowda always finishes the race in either 11th, a couple occasions getting 10th, but pretty much hovers around that 11th spot. And right before he slid off the track, he was in that 11th spot. So... He would have, again, continued his streak of finishing in 11th, which I thought was Mr. Consistency for sure. You put him in like a Red Bull or maybe Mercedes, Ferrari. I genuinely want to see what happens. I'm interested for next week. We have the Spanish uh, Spanish Grand Prix. Um, I'm interested to see how Mercedes continues developing on their new car design. One, that is crazy that they rolled out essentially an entirely new car design mid-season. We don't see that very often. You see upgrade packages like with the wing or something like that, but not with the entire body of the car. Uh, I, I'm i done with Ferrari Hope. I texted Jeremiah and John and Ian, who y'all have seen on the podcast before, that Ferrari was going to make a statement in Monaco. I was watching the practices and they were doing really well and it looked like they had it figured out. 
and then they just blow it every single time. And I'm I'm tired of rooting for Ferrari. I I so want Charles and Carlos to do well. I love those guys as drivers, oh. but they blow it every single week. Yeah, they definitely made their statement. Carlos made his statement on the back of Esteban Ocon. <laughs> that what we're calling it now i'm gonna make a statement on you just run right into the back of them carlos also lives on the side of the wall <laughs> yeah i think i think red bulls uh, i mean obviously gonna run away with the season there's i mean even if something catastrophic happens they've got it covered off for the rest of the year uh the battle still for second i think between aston martin and mercedes i think mercedes yeah. is going to start to take a commanding lead in that with lance stroll consistently not getting high points finishes if you're mercedes and you're getting top five every single race with both drivers you're absolutely going to get second place there's no doubt about it kind of to add on to your point there if lance stroll doesn't start picking it up we will see mercedes overtake them for that number two spot it's just a given the, they're, they're too close now what are the points at right now it, if I'm not mistaken, they're only back by like 12 points or no, one point, I think even. It's one point. The, yeah, one point. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Mercedes is one point behind Aston Martin. And if Lance Stroll doesn't start finishing or at least getting some good points, then yeah, Mercedes they're, is going to overtake them. They're going to get that next week. I mean, unless, like you said, unless Lance Stroll's finishing in the top six, like he did at the start of the year, we thought, man, Lance Stroll's figured right. this out. Awesome. He's got to right. do that every single week. Thanks for watching the 2023 Monaco Grand Prix race recap. We will be back this week with a uh, all new podcast episode and then see us next week for the Spanish Grand Prix. Thanks guys. All right. With that, I think that's all we got. Bye guys.